everybody, this is Kenny Wayne Shepherd, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hello, this is Brad Whitford of Aerosmith and the Whitford St. Holmes Band, and this is Iron City Rock. Welcome to episode 361 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. I want to wish you all a happy new year and welcome you to episode 361. We have three really cool guests, uh, more on the blues end of things this time around. We have joining us from the band Rock Candy Funk Party. Uh, also, I think many of you will recognize him from his work with Joe Bonamassa. We have drummer Tal Bergman on the line in just a few moments. Also joining us, kind of a uh, Pittsburgh blues legend, uh, Miss Freddie, will be here to talk about her latest album and what she's got going on in her career. And also wanted uh, to talk uh, with guitarist Shane Spiel, who is uh, kind of the foremost expert on cigar box guitar and to talk about uh, kind of a little known gem out of new alexandria pennsylvania cigar box museum at spiel tavern so uh, we're going to get into that conversation in just a little bit so uh we're going to start off with tal bergman uh, again i mentioned he was drummer for joe bonamassa he's kind of split time with anton fig over the years uh he and also with joe bonamassa as well as ron de jesus mike Merritt. Renato Neto, Ty Taylor, and Mahalila Barnes uh, have a really cool new album called The Groove uh, out, which is available now. They're doing just a couple uh, live shows. Um, I think kind of juggling everyone's schedule is quite a challenge for the band, but um, Tal also talks about other things he has going on in his career. We even delve into uh, some stuff his brother has going on with the release of Star Wars, his brother, um, film producer. So... Lots going on in the Bergman family, so we talk with Dal about that. So let's play a little bit from the groove, and we'll get into that interview. I said, come on! This ain't no candy fool. You dip in your toe the water is full. Get bottle, cherry bomb blowing. You ain't dealing with no fool. I know what I'm knowing. So don't play with it. Come and get it, or I'll be going. <laughs> Late ain't better than never to Anything you wanting to. Those are things we're gonna do. A real man through and through for you, baby. You, baby. Any time of day or night, I will flood your appetite. Let me press my diamond on you, baby. Why do you? Your lip licking ain't for me And those fluttering eyes to break the speed of light It ain't this that they see You keep looking me up and down and all around Like you don't like it Don't even try it I ain't buying it Don't even try it Don't even try it 
Pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have on the line Tal Bergman. How are you doing today, Tal? Very good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, you have just recently released Rock Candy Funk Party's uh, third studio studio album, The Groove Cubed. Um, it's been yeah. out for about a little over a month now. Um, really cool album. I think you know a, a lot of rock fans probably when they hear the see that it's made the jazz charts get a little nervous. But um, you know when you <laughs> listen to it, there's a lot of a lot of different elements of, of different styles of music in there. Can you talk a little bit about what you know the kind of the goal of the project was? Well, for sure. That, I know it's under a jazz category, first of all, but I'm you know it's music, so it mm. has all kinds of influence. Uh, it's hard to put it inside of a box. I mean, the idea of this project and this this band and all is really to break a lot of ground. At least try to and really have no rules like in style because we love everything so why not do it uh, you know you, I, it's hard for me to categorize it in any kind of style but if you listen to the record it really takes you into a whole trip around uh, many styles of music which uh, the core the core of it is us sitting in a room and really playing with the 
and listening to each other and a lot of interplay between people. So there is a lot of freshness to it in the way it's been recorded. Uh, so, you know, we're really doing it for love of music. And obviously it's not a money-making situation sure. it's for us to really make music without thinking Oh, is this going to sell or not sell or this? And I'm, you know, if somebody going to like it, that's great. You know, we, you know, it's 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 all about having fun. And, now, can you take yeah. us through? I, I think a lot of times when people, you know, they're, they're used to rock songs, you know, the three and a half minute, you know, chorus, verse, chorus, verse kind of thing. Uh, you know, when they listen to this music, it can be somewhat intimidating um, from the perspective of maybe people don't understand the structure of the song or how the improvisation works. But I mean, do you? chart out parts of the song and have parts for improvisation or how, how does the you know the structure of the song come about the structure actually comes in the studio the, when we walk into a studio uh, to record the record and then we've done it in all of our, our records we don't have uh, complete pieces of music we have different ideas that each of us come up with or whatever and we throw it out when we're there in the room and we are really coming up with it in the studio and the number one thing that we have is it has to really groove hard it doesn't matter in what style of music mm -hmm. so that's one thing another thing is like the way we worked on this record is you know we have at least maybe three or four parts to each tune that we are sitting and let's say we come up with a, a groove or an idea or a guitar line or a riff or a melody or anything and we're just playing it till we know that this thing is really feels good but not overplaying it where it feels tired and sure. so once we have that stuff then we're really thinking a little bit about the form and then we cut the whole thing from beginning to end pretty much you know it's live so with few overdubs on top of it, but the core of it is recorded live, and uh, we decide who is going to take the solo and how long and all that stuff. But we're really doing it in the studio. So for this record, you know, my goal as a you know as a producer was, okay, I want to come out at least with one tune a day in the studio mm -hmm. from nothing. So it's risky, but I you know we love that edge and that comes out in the recording because you know the anticipation of what's going to be and it's always fresh and once it's fresh on tape then it always stays fresh yeah now um when you're when you're doing this this kind of you know writing in a relatively short period of time at least you know for a non-songwriter a day at song seems pretty ambitious um you know i know you've worked with with joe bonamassa quite a bit over the years and and ron um but how is important it is is it for musicians to have that sort of interplay, you know, the experience with other musicians to be able to do that? I mean, could you walk into a room with, you know, three completely unknown musicians and, and accomplish that? Or is it, you know, some of the nonverbal communication essential for that? I think it's essential to have really a chemistry mm -hmm. where the people that are in a room are really listening to each other and have a vocabulary that if somebody is doing something or playing, they know exactly what it's about without, mm. you don't need to talk about it. Right. And there is no egos in the room where, I mean, we all have egos, but it's healthy. It's we, we, right. We're going in and the idea is what's best 
for the music and not really thinking, oh, this I have to show my chops or let me do a killer solo or any of that. It's what we can bring in, each of us together, to create something that uh, is really from the core of it. Like if I'm thinking from, uh, you know, from bottom up, really has the right stuff with the with the right space between it. So it's also like what you're not playing is as important. In this particular combination, even though I played uh, with Joe for years, mm -hmm. and uh, I don't need to tell you how great he is, uh, you know, he has a great ear and, and he's like a sponge. I mean, the guy learns something or whatever and it's so fast. You know, it's like a, such a well-oiled machine. Yeah. You know, and 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 Ron, you know, is like one of the funkiest guitar players, and they work so great together that they really leave the space for each other right off the bat. Uh, so it's all about the interplay comes really from bar one. You know, it, it came to us when we played the first time. Uh, as a team on this thing when we came to the studio on the first record it was really the first time that we all sat together in the studio recording and it just felt right you know between uh, Mike Merritt on bass and Renato on keyboards uh, and we were really just locked in as soon as it, we started playing so I think it's a lot to do with the chemistry, not necessarily knowing somebody for many years. You know, it's right. like when people come with the similar backgrounds or, or listening to a lot of the same music when they grow up. And like in this particular band, we have people from all around the world that grew up listening somewhat to the same music right. when they grew up, which is really amazing. <laughs> but they all have their influences. But um, it's... Uh, not necessarily I mean you can be with somebody annoying for 10 years and go in the studio and hang and it'd be happening right <laughs> yeah that, that's a great point now Tal when you look at your resume you've worked with some of the greatest of the greats really um, from you know probably the last 20-30 years um, it, it, but not only behind the kit you know and on the road behind the kit but as a producer um, do you think of yourself more like when you know, you meet somebody at a party and, and you introduce yourself. Do you identify yourself as a drummer first, a producer first? What what brings you the most pride at this point in your career? Well, I would say my drumming is always number one for me because I'm a, you know, that's, that's everything I've done probably since I'm six years old. Mm -hmm. uh, but in this day and age, you have, you know, as a musician, yeah, and in order to survive in the music business, you really have to wear many hats. I, uh, you know, you cannot sit at home waiting for somebody to call you. It's right. just not going to happen. So, you know, I would usually say I'm a drummer, but I say I'm also a producer, and I also score movies, and I, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it all comes from me, first of all, really from loving of drumming and percussion and rhythms and, uh, you know, uh, sound design in rhythm. I like to explore many things. Uh, I think, you know, uh, you know, I like if I go into a session as a drummer and something needs to be programmed, I'm not going to have, you know, a problem doing it. And you need to know how to do it today. 
if you're looking for a particular kind of sound and uh, and it's and you have to use it as an instrument so you have to keep an open mind but i would say first of all i would say i'm always a drummer uh, even though if i go and google my name uh, on google it will say a com- uh, film composer yeah, nothing you know? nothing wrong with that you're you're, you're a professional <laughs> no. musician it's got to say a lot of things to to be a professional musician in this day and age so there's nothing wrong with that you, um I think you have to stay up to date. I would say that. But as a drummer, you know, you you've been in many different situations. Rod Stewart, Billy Idol, Shaka Khan, Joe Bonamassa. Uh, it, you know, even you know the Rock Candy Funk Party. Do you, you consciously adapt the way you approach the drums for the for the gig? I mean, you know, I listen to the Rock Candy. Um, you know, the one thing that really stood out to me was your snare drum playing really kind of jumped off the page at me, which isn't something I necessarily notice when you play with Joe Bonamassa. Um, do you have to kind of tailor how you approach the instrument for the for the role? Sure. Yeah, of course. And, you know, I would say, first of all, it starts from always I go to the basics, and it's like what kind of attitude am I going for? Mm-hmm. And that kind of attitude is what kind of a, a sound I'm gonna, you know, because sounds make you play. So, um, I, so like for the let's say example for the rock candy fun party, I used two different drum sets that were they were set up at the same time in the studio. Mm-hmm. Which one I call it like the meat and potato drum set, which mm-hmm. is more of like a really tight, funky pop sound. And it can be a really big sound, and another drum set which was really a jazz bebop set, which uh, makes you play in a whole different way. Now you need to know how to play all those things, but sounds also make you play and think differently and approach the instrument differently and come up with different parts. Uh, so I do adapt my playing to what the music calls, even like on Rock Candy, which is such a varied record with so many styles in it. We have some tunes where I have either two drum sets at the same time that I overdub on top of another, mm-hmm. or I have uh, a, a tune where it's in, in the middle, it goes into a jazz break, kind of more of a jazzy thing. Uh, then, uh, you know, I switched, you know, I switched the drum set to to that. So, and if I play with uh, Joe, you know, and uh, I do the, a live concert with him, you know, which is more, let's say, was like the English blues rock thing. Your playing is totally needs to feel really wide, and and uh, and also accent him in different places. And you really have to think how to because a lot of time it's a live situation. You have to exaggerate stuff that you will not do in a studio, because in a studio it will be overkill. But live, it gives the energy and stuff like that, and and dynamics. Uh, so. It's also in the style of music when it's like more of a funk, old school, like 70s. Then the snare and all the ghost notes are really important to mm-hmm. create that 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 vibe. But you know, uh, if I play like an English rock thing, let's say from like like a Zeppelin kind of a stuff, if you listen to Bonham, he was also playing R&B. Yeah, <laughs> it was just with a wider sound and a different configuration of uh, band, but. In the end of the day, it's really, I think by now it comes naturally to me how to approach something depends on the music that's there. 
Yeah, I have to admit, I think in all the drummers I've ever spoken to, the first one I've ever heard say they overdub drums. That's really, that's really, really cool, uh, you know, to hear that. Um, now, how did you get involved with film scoring and that type of work? Was that just a, with a particular uh, film? I know your brother's in the film industry, obviously. Yeah, my uh, brother is a film producer. Mm-hmm. And now I can brag about him. He's produced uh, the Last Jedi. Yeah, no, no small task. I, I had to laugh in, uh, in, in in looking at this because you know I saw he was involved with the Last Jedi, and then I look on your Facebook page, and there you are with five former presidents. It was kind of who, who's making <laughs> who's making mom prouder this week. That was that well, was really. No, my mother is actually. We had the premiere uh, day before yesterday. Uh, and my mother flew from Israel uh, to be with us on, uh, you know, at the premiere of the movie. So that was amazing. I mean, she's, uh, you know, we try to make her proud. Yeah, I think you, I yeah. think, but between the two of you, you know, in the last couple of weeks, we've been doing quite well in, in making mom and dad proud. That's wonderful. But uh, um, yeah, I would w- say I would say my brother more. But, uh, you know, he's my brother. It's my little brother, and I can't be happier. <laughs> yeah, you could. You're standing between Obama and George Bush, though, in that picture, if I'm not mistaken. So you're doing okay. <laughs> well, my friend uh, uh, Oz Noy wrote on the Facebook that it's me standing with uh, five drum techs. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> wrong with that. <laughs> That's fantastic. But also my my you know my wife is a film producer and a director so uh, and she's doing extremely well so we I started jumping into scoring movies because you know it kind of almost fell on my lap you know so I never considered myself like you know I I, I say probably I composed seven movies with two fingers you know that's right. my keyboard playing. Two-finger two finger Bergman. Nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of great piano players that probably never got much better than that. Um, do you, um, when you're doing that, I mean, for those who haven't ever seen the process, I mean, do you just sit there and kind of, you know, do you get remarks from a director that says, you know, I want you to kind of paint oh. this sort of, you know, this kind of music in the scene, or do they just give you the raw film and you try to work out what you think would be no, best? No, no, no. Usually when... Usually when you get a movie, the horror they have, it's you're like the last on the chain. So mm. first of all, they have the least amount of budget for you. Sure. And then they have they they have a, a temp score that they, they sit with an editor while they're editing the movie that they just use temp from whatever movies. And, you know, so you have a place to start from. I would say a lot of the time they work is more of a craft than an art uh, because you really have to cater to the movie so it's not about you showing what you know and this it's you know which is the same in playing for somebody hmm. so you really have to I would usually go and first you spot the movie where you sit with the director and they find out where they want music where they don't want music what kind and you go by the temp you know sometimes they'll have the temp on a you know a million dollar movie but they have uh, the temp is like from Titanic sure so it's like okay well there is no way I can do that right <laughs> so we have to and it doesn't work because the music is way too big for the movie so uh, I would say it's a long process 
where you really have to uh, be very patient. And I, I always try to bring a different color and a different, uh, uh, you know, like a, like a, like whatever is the vibe that you want to create and try to do it from different places with different sounds. So, uh, you know, it's fun to do, but it's a, it's a lot of work, but it's fun. Sure. And I actually, I think with Renato that's playing on the record, you know, I scored like two or three movies together. So, you know, we go back. On different, uh, yeah. So, in in 2018, if I recall correctly, you managed to get some of Joe's time, and you guys are going to do some live rock candy funk party shows. Um, how much? You know, you obviously don't have a lot of time to prepare for those with everyone's schedules and you know other jobs. You know, when you do, there's a lot of improvisation in that um, in the live set, or you know, how do you kind of approach putting that well, maturity? We actually have like five dates that are in February 1st to the 5th at the place called the Baked Potato, which is a, like a really small jazz club uh, in uh, LA. And, you know, we booked five days and it sold out in like, I would say, about 24 hours. And we are actually rehearsing. We have four day rehearsals before. So we are rehearsing quite a lot for for that because it's uh, we you know uh, it's the material you need to you cannot just go and jam it you need to really have the parts down and stuff like that and and really feel comfortable with it and then what we do is when we play live we obviously open it up because that's the whole idea it's a rock candy funk party everything mm-hmm. goes so. Uh, and that's how this band actually started and evolved. So it's it's not a jam band, but there is a lot of playing going on, and people can you know you can take it here and you can take it there, uh, you know. And hopefully, you know, if everybody listens to each other, you don't fall on your face. But uh, sure, you know, <laughs> you know. But that happens too. It's fine. Uh, now, do you have any personal like touring plans for 2018, or is it still kind of up in the air? Or What's next for you well, beyond those dates? Uh, as Rock Candy or as myself? As, as yourself or either. I, I imagine touring uh, with Rock Candy uh, is kind of tough. Love to do, uh, you know, we would all love to do some dates with Rock Candy Funk Party somewhere. Uh, I think it's it's a really a killer band live uh, that can really, you know, uh, it, it, it's not boring to sit and listen to it. It's a party. So, but with everybody's schedule, you know, and I know Joe is extremely busy with his own schedule. It's a tough thing to do, but we're trying. Uh, with myself, uh, I don't have any tours planned. Well, if somebody is looking for a drummer, I'm always available if the money is right. And then, uh, <laughs> and it's more I'm doing like my own uh, right now. I'm doing sessions in town. I play on uh, different movie scores. Uh, I played on the last uh, 50 or 40 Shades of Grey that's coming up. I'm playing on that. And uh, I'm doing another, like like different sessions where I work with different composers and mm-hmm. I do all the drums and percussion and stuff like that on it. And producing stuff in town. And I love to play live and I love to tour. It's unfortunately, you know, uh, I'm not a great schmoozer. So I'm not yeah. like going out there and... And uh, you know, 
<laughs> but when people know me and you know if they like what I do, then you know stuff always shows up. Yeah, I'm not yeah. complaining. No, no. It's, it's wonderful. I well, Tal, I I'm, doing, I'm doing good. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you for your time. I know you're, you're a very busy man. This is a busy time for you. Uh, congratulations mm -hmm. uh, on the, on the fantastic uh, record, the the uh, Hurricane Relief concert, thank you. with tremendous success, and congratulate your brother on the, on the little film he's putting out at the end of the week, and uh, wish you all yeah. all the best. Thank you so so much, and uh, I'm really happy that uh, you like the record. We can, you know, I hope people will get to hear it. Yeah, yeah, and then, be. you know, well, it's got something for everybody. Yeah, we'll get it out there. It's it's really a cool thing because I know, you know, I I remember seeing at first I kind of discovered Joe's music, uh, and then I saw it, you know, in the Joe's mega online store there, and I was like, what is that? This is <laughs> you know kind of an interesting name for that, and um, you know, I, I went and gave it a listen. Like, this is kind of neat because I I enjoy jazz but it's not like you know i i myself personally I, like i i started to try to listen to more jazz and i've gotten like um some older miles davis stuff um and then i got some of the, the later miles davis stuff and some of that kind of blows my mind i can't quite understand what i'm listening to just yet but um you know i, I like enjoy. yeah and and yours i like because it's got you know i love the bass in there and, and like i was listening to it last night and it would just kind of dim the lights down and really try to focus on it and uh you know it's enjoyable because you you can still feel it still sounds like Joe's playing, but it doesn't sound like English blues like you said. You know it's it's kind of a yeah. you know a neat journey musically, yeah. and then you've got like you know really I mean the single with Ty I mean you could hear that on top forty radio. You know if I wish <laughs> I think that you know that that song with Ty Taylor which is amazing uh, is really was in a way also to prove that you can do top 40 music with all live bands playing in a room without yeah. quantization, without uh, using, you know, it's all played by right. real musicians sitting in one room together. Yeah. And you know, it you... sounds just, I would say, as good as any, uh, you know, stuff where you sit and you program everywhere and, and the feel is like old school, but it's new school, so... Yeah, it's I, I wish, but... It had a lot of um, Bruno Mars sort of feel to it, I think, you know, because it sure. had that funk yeah. kind of thing yeah. going on. It, but you know, there were actually instruments in there. But like, you know, if you could get the right machine behind it to get it on, you know, Clear Channel or whoever controls the radio syndication in this country, um, you know, you'd certainly have a. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you got it. Cost you a fortune to get your song on the radio, and then it could make you, you know, make some money maybe. But. Uh, it's a fantastic record. Um, it's it's a really enjoyable I'll, listen, and hopefully you'll find your way out towards you know the uh, eastern half of the United States, and we'll get to catch you live at some point. Hey, I would love to. I All right, Tal. Well, best of luck thank to you, and thank you for your time today. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you very very much. All right, a big thank you to Tal Bergman again. Rock Candy Funk Party is available now at their website. It's just rockcandyfunkparty.com. You can get that on iTunes, Amazon, etc. Plenty of places to get that. And unfortunately, no East Coast live dates for that yet, but hopefully um, we'll see something maybe in the new year. Uh, if you're into the blues, um, I don't think you can do much better in the western Pennsylvania area than Miss Freddie, uh, who will be joining us now for the first time. She was the 2016 Blues Artist of the Year in our uh, listener poll. Uh, we'll be doing uh, that listener poll again if you go to ironcityrocks.com you can vote for your favorite uh, western pennsylvania artist for those of you who are local 
Uh, Miss Freddie was certainly deserving in 2016. She has since put out a new album. Um, so we're going to play uh, a track from that album. Uh, this is from The Lady of the Blues. This is Miss Freddie's Gonna Fix Ya. <laughs> I welcome to Iron City Rocks. We have Miss Freddie on the line. How you doing? I'm well. How about yourself? Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Um, for those not familiar with you, you are um, an artist, a local artist, I should say, but I don't like to use the term local artist too much because I think people tend to think less of the word local. Um, you were the, and actually in our listener poll last year in 2016, you were voted the best blues artist in the in Western Pennsylvania, uh, and I know right now you're doing very well in the nominations for the 2017 blues category. Um, you've got a great new record that came out in 2017, Lady of the Blues, and that's kind of where I'd like to start. Um, this album you recorded actually in California, correct? Yeah, San Jose, Cal- uh, uh, California, at uh, Greaseland Studios. 
How did you end up out there? Because I know a lot of times when we get, you know, artists from Western Pennsylvania, it'll be, you know, Millvale or somewhere like that, it'll be recorded. How did you end up, you know, on the sunny side of the country? <laughs> and it was sunny. It was great. Um, my friend, uh, who is originally from Pittsburgh, uh, Dr. B, mm-hmm. or I call him my bay bro, Brandon Bentz, um, we became Facebook friends. We've been friends for a couple years now, and then as time went on, he's a musician, singer and harmonica player and um as time went on you know we really really got to know each other musically and it's been a great experience with brandon he's a great guy great supporter of blues so he came out last summer and sat in with my blues band uh and i was just talking about a cd you know and i was talking about you know all the domestic violence going on not just in our city here in pittsburgh Mm -hmm. but all over and i said it kind of hits home for me and i said i'm just tired of feeling sad i really need music you know to start some kind of a healing groove Mm -hmm. and so he said hey i know some friends maybe you know you want to come out california and uh, record i said absolutely so you know usually i would say uh you know just you know just talking stuff it's not serious but i took it seriously and next thing you know, by October, November, he introduces me to Andy Santana, who's the main producer on there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, November, they start working on the, you know, the songs, the arrangements, and went out there, uh, this past, uh, March, April, and was out there for a week. And that's how it all got started. And I, I was so excited. So yeah. excited to do it. Yeah, it, um, so when you when you went into this, this was the, the musicians you used on the album. These were not your normal like your gigging musicians. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah, those guys are all from uh, out there in California, and uh, they were friends of to everybody to Kid mm-hmm. Anderson, okay. um, who's actually guitarist with uh, Rick Estrin and Nightcat. Um, kid, you know, he, he's got this old blues soul to be a young man in his 30s. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wife, Lisa, you know, she was my voice coach, which was great. And, uh, yeah, those musicians that played on there, they're, they're the heavy hitters of, you know, the music world. Um, playing with greats as James Brown and Etta James and Walter Trout, and the list goes on with their resumes. But they were, they were great. They were down on earth. They were very nice. They were very funny. And one of the musicians, he's actually uh, moving back here. He's from Pittsburgh, Eric Spaulding, a saxophone player. Great guy. We actually played some gigs when he was here mm-hmm. uh, before he went out to California, but now he's back. So hopefully I can convince him to you know, do some gigs with me in the co- upcoming years. Now, going across the country, you're sitting on the plane, or assuming you flew, or, or in the car, or whatever, however you got there, but are, are you kind of nervous going out there with all new musicians and, you know, kind of being, you know, from the small city going out to, you know, the other side of the country to, to make this? Was that intimidating to you? At first it was, but I had to realize this is something that I wanted to do, and by the way, I would never drive. <laughs> yeah, that, that is... Not that far. No. <laughs> Eight hours is good enough for me, and then I'm okay. But, um, yeah, when I went out there, I had to really, really uh, dig deep down in my in my spirit and my soul as a person who loves music and who really wants to keep blues music going even after I'm no longer here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I researched the resumes of those uh, musicians, and I'm telling you... I said, I have to step up my game 
you know, this is no longer, you know, I'm at the playground. I'm now out of the playground, and I'm now getting ready to, you know, do what I have to do. And, and I have to come in there with the belief that I can do this. Sure. No matter how often I have to keep going over and over a cut, you know, that I'm doing. So I had three and a half days to do it. Which That's all I had. That always amazes me when musicians say, you know, we had a week to write and record, or we had two days to record and, you know, half a day for overdubs. Um, you know, is is a hack who's labored over, you know, some Pro Tools stuff in the past. I can't imagine how people make music that fast, you know. Um, so you're obviously in a lot of probably a lot of people will look at this and say you're kind of young to be singing this type of music. Um, what got you into you know kind of the blues and you know the great vocalists of you know yesteryear? What you know was this something you heard as a kid growing up, or what what turned you on to this stuff? Uh, I actually really didn't come into the age of really listening to blues where I really enjoyed it. So um, it was about 21 years ago. Because growing up, my mom listened to blues, and my dad listened to country, and it drove me nuts. So yeah. I was into the whole stacks and Motown, you know. I figured that was the hip new thing to do as a teenager. But as I, you know, got older, I realized that, you know, it's much more to music than anyone can imagine as far as me. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually was dating a bass player, uh, called him Big Mike, and they were looking for a singer. But he didn't know I sang. Uh, he was listening to me uh, sing Silent Night to my son. My son was a toddler. Mm-hmm. And he's like, we're looking for a singer. I'm like, okay. Good luck. Yeah. So, you know, it, yeah, right. And, it, it, and you know, I, I just felt I wasn't a singer. I just felt I couldn't sing. Because I started singing in church at 15, and I'm telling you, I couldn't carry a note. Mm-hmm. And so when, you know, Big Mike said, you know, come on, you know, he, he it, it took some convincing, and I finally did. And I auditioned, and the band was in one room. They had a 100-foot uh, mic cord. I went in the bathroom, turned the water on, and I started singing. That's how I got into the band. <laughs> singing in the shower. And from then on... Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sitting right there at the edge of the tub. The water's running, and I'm singing, and it's like, really? <laughs> but uh, that's how I got into it. And my mentor, um, matter of fact, one of his songs, uh, original songs, Love You Baby, I put that on the CD as a tribute to him and his belief in blues. He told me, you know, got to get out the shyness. And, um, you know, he encouraged me to, you know, listen to the different blues. He said there's different aspects of blues, but he said really pay attention, you know, to what's going on. So out of that, I picked, you know, a lot of my favorites, you know, the greats from yesteryear. Mm -hmm. And uh, from that, I tried to develop my own sound. And it's working. When when you went from the bathroom to the stage... Um, what was that experience like? You know, as somebody who, you know, most of the time when we talk to singers, you know, they're honed for this. You know, they've, they've had vocal coaches growing up or, they, you know, they were in children's choirs or things like that. But, you know, mm-hmm. wh- what was that like when you, you know, step up to the club or the bar or whatever it was, the first time you're in front of that mic? What was that experience like for you? I was scared to death. <laughs> yeah. I have, and I still have stage fright. Um and what I did, you know, I, the very first time, I, I just I couldn't do it. Um, so after the uh, first set, because I think we did like three sets that night, mm-hmm. I, I went to my mentor, Big Al, and I said, 
I, I can't do this. I have to figure out how I'm going to get out of this. I said, but in the meantime, can I stand behind the band? And it was an odd request, but he knew, because he was a psychologist too. Mm-hmm. And he knew. He knew how I felt. He knew my anxiety. Um, so what I did was, as the band faced the audience, I sat in a chair facing the wall. So my back was to the band. Okay. And I did that for about a year. So, um, and he told me I had to come out of it. You know, he, he said, you know, people are going to love what you do. He said, yes, there's going to be rejection. And he said, but, you know, you, you have to, if you believe in what you do, he said, people will listen to you and believe that and believe in you. So, yeah, it was a little anxiety-ridden at first. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I marvel at, you know, I, you know, singers, especially, you know, I grew up, you know, looking at, you know, to me, Paul Stanley was kind of like the quintessential frontman of a band, but he always had the guitar, you know, it was like something to hold on to to make it a little bit easier, but, you know, you're just up there, just you and a mic, you know, and and that's yeah. that's certainly got to be an experience. Even you know, singing in a choir, you're still surrounded by other people. Um, yeah, but it was different in a choir because as I, you know, I sang in a church choir, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and it was great. I didn't have to worry about doing a solo after that. Um, mm-hmm. I had joined another church, so it, it was it was you know I was okay, and I made sure I sang low, and I made sure you know that I really sang low. Nobody heard my voice, so. Um, it was an exp- it, it was an experience growing up, and a lot of people they asked me, you know, who was my vocal teacher? Can I give lessons? And I said, mm-hmm. I've never had theory, and I've never had any teaching. This is all natural, and me just listening to recordings and going out and hearing bands and really paying attention to what's going on with that singer. So that's how I learned. Now you do, uh, you know, looking at your your upcoming shows, you do three, four hours a night. Um, you know, as as a vocalist who hasn't, you know, had the formal training, do you have tricks to keep your voice from being shot by the end of the night, or do you have that much power in your vocal cords? I mean, you've got a very powerful voice on record, but you know, to do a three hour show in a, in a venue where you know people might be smoking or things like that, is that hard? Um, it's hard, and I and I still do from time to time sing in uh, smoke-filled rooms. Mm-hmm. And the trick of it is, one, don't eat right before the gig. Um, and me being a nurse, there's a lot of tricks that I have learned over the years mm-hmm. of how I can do. Um, a lot of people drink warm liquids, and I can't. Mm-hmm. So I have to drink, um, like, I keep ice water around always, water, period. Um, I don't eat anything spicy. Um, if I have alcohol, it's a shot of something, and I'm done. Yeah. That's it. That's you know, and and I don't advocate that. It's just that what works for me, and I don't do that all the time. And plenty of rest. A lot of people, you know, I find that if I come from work because I'm a nurse and go straight to a gig, I can tell. I can tell right away that my voice is tired. I'm tired. I need to regroup. Mm-hmm. So now I make sure there's at least two or three hours of space time before I'm due to that gig. I just make sure I rest. And I do a lot of meditation. That helps a lot, believe it or not. I meditate a, a lot. Well, you, you figure you are your instrument. You know, your bass player, your guitarist, you know, they, they put new strings on, they tune and, and, you know, keep the instrument in the right humidity. But you are your instrument. So obviously. You know, you've got to listen to your body and, and know what you need to do. Uh, you mentioned being a nurse. Do you 
get recognized at work? Do people say, you know, hey, I saw you a couple weeks ago at, you know, Saxonburg Hotel, <laughs> you're doing a show, you know, does that ever happen? Oh, yes, it happens quite often. It happens more frequently now. Um, it happens with it, you know, not only if I see, see uh, you know, workers, people um, in the building, but also uh, patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do bedside nursing anymore. I work under the uh, chief of staff. I work at the VA here in Pittsburgh. Okay. But it's quite interesting because people, you know, I'll I'll be talking. They're like, oh, yeah, I saw you on Pittsburgh Today Live. Yeah. Or, oh, yeah, um, my, my girlfriend said, you know, I should go see you. She saw you at Moondogs. Or, you know, I, I, I get that quite often. It's kind of interesting. Or, oh, yeah, I heard you on YEP. Wow. I, you know. I didn't know you did that, so yeah, I, I, I'm getting that a lot. Yeah, people assume you're a millionaire and don't need a daytime job. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> oh no, I need the health insurance. Got to work, and and you know what? I I love doing it. I thought it would be hard to work full time and then have the music, mm-hmm. but I've adapted, and um, it's still a little stressful. But you know what? I like doing both. Yeah, it, it is certainly. Uh, good to have that balance. You know, you have a bad day at work, you go have a good night on stage. You have a rough night on stage, you can you've got work. Um, you know, and, and trust me, you'd be amazed how many quote professional musicians still have daytime jobs. You know, I get that all oh. the time. You know, in, mm-hmm. in bands that tour the country, you know, they take a month off from whatever it is their your real job is to go and do this. Um, so it's not uncommon. Now, in, in listening to the album, I, you know, I am a novice. Uh, I don't pretend to be an expert on, on jazz, but I feel like I'm sensing some jazz in there. Did you listen to much jazz? Do you feel there's an influence of the jazz kind of creeping in there? My, um, I did. I I didn't start really listening to jazz until I dated uh, this gentleman. I started dating him back in the um, late '80s, mm-hmm. and he loved jazz. So every chance we got, you know, when we went out, it was like to go listen to some jazz. He would play, you know, he would play jazz, you know, at home. And um, I started listening to it, and I like it, and I've actually sang it a couple times. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to do if you're not used to it, but when you really pay attention, you can do it. And you're right, Kid Anderson and Andy, they listened to my voice, what I had out there. And, you know, Kid being who he was and Andy being who he was, you know, Andy did the musical arrangement and, uh, you know, with the playing of the musicians. And I actually listened to the CD when it was finally done myself. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, it sounds a little jazzy, sounds like a little bit of 50-ish going on there, yeah. you know, the 50s, you know, rock and roll from the 50s. I said, wow. So, yeah, I, I would say there is some jazz influence there. Now, um do you, do you that kind of brings up an interesting question? Do you listen to your own CD much? I mean, do you do you go back and, and revisit your catalog, or is, do you just kind of make them and put them on the shelf and let others enjoy them? Is it? No, I actually listen to my I actually listen, you know, to my CDs because um, I have another one that came out about seven years ago through mm-hmm. Bone Dog Records. Sure, and you know, it, it depends upon my mood. Um, because I listen to classical piano when I have things on my mind and I need to solve problems. Okay. And I listen to, you know, classical piano. It's just, just my thing. I love listening to it. And when I want to, you know, bold and sassy, I'll, you know, throw in my, my latest CD 
And if I just want to take it back and, like, you know, go back in time, I'll listen to the first CD that came out. So I do listen. Do you, I, I listen to them. Do you agonize over things in the recording? You know, do you go, oh, if I had just done that or, you know, yes. listening to it now, I'd love to have changed that <laughs> phrasing. Or... Yes, I, I yes, I do. And, and I still do it because an idea will come up in my head. I'm like, oh, I could have did it this way. Oh, wait, I could have sounded like this. Oh wait, kid was right. I should have, mm-hmm. you know, I should have brought that more boldness out of me that I do at my shows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's like a given. That's even, you know, after I've done a show, it's like, oh, I should have did it this way. Oh, I wish I had a sang that a little bit more. You know, so um, as I move forward and move onward, you know, with projects that I have in the future, and then even the shows that come up, you know. I'm like, okay, I got to remember to do this with that particular song, or you know, all yeah. the songs. So, sure. yeah, I do it. <laughs> that's, I think, the nature of musicians. You're never happy with the way it is. Sometimes you just need to run out of budget, and that's that's where you stop. Um, Absolutely. Now, now you have um, kind of two official bands: a home cooking trio and the blues band. Um, can you kind of compare, mm-hmm. contrast those for people who might be looking at your shows and you know, seeing one or the other? What are they going to get in a show from you? The blues band, um, which I first started out in 2002, we are we do more of that Chicago style um, electric blues, um, a little bit high energy. Uh, well, I'm a little bit more bolder and sassy um, because it's blues, mm-hmm. and to me, that's what it represents: bold, sassy, making a true statement. Whereas my acoustic, it's more, it's laid back. It's more, we're in your face, but we're still giving you that three feet of personal space. And I'm more, I hone in on, you know, making a way with music, but intimately. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's the big difference. And, you know, the size of the band, it's, we're pretty much, it's like five of us, you know, right. um, in the blues band and, you know, four in the acoustic. So um, that's the big difference, you know, and, and I like both. I like having that flavor, having, you know, both bands mm-hmm. for, you know, what I can do. So uh, it's it, it's a nice, um, it's a nice setup. Now, and, I, I noticed on the on the new album, you've got quite a bit of um, horns and things like that. Is you able to incorporate that in through either of those bands or do you just kind of arrange the songs slightly different to you know leave those out now in my blues band I have a lap steel guitar player Bobby Dill and lap steel Bob Powers and you know he takes that lap steel and he can make it sound like a horn mm-hmm. he can make it sound like an organ make it sound like a p- uh, piano make it sound like you know he's doing slide which you know obviously it is so that's the the big advantage of having him and he's a talented musician and in my acoustic not so much so uh, Mike Houston who is my acoustic guitar player and keyboard player he can do some things with some of the uh, songs off my CD that Mm. you know it's the song you know there's not a sax or a trumpet on there but um, he's honing in on what's supposed to be done Excellent, excellent. 
I'm sure someday we'll we'll get the opportunity to see you at a Heinz Hall or the Benetton with a full horn section. We'll be looking forward to that. Um, let let me ask you. Um, you've been at this a while. Have you seen how is the 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 blues received? You know, we hear a lot about the Pittsburgh music scene um, being kind of antiquated. Um, you know, with rock bands, we you know we get a lot of feedback from bands on that. But as as a whole, how would you compare the blues scene twenty years ago to today? Is it healthier? Is it you know more in need of a shot in the arm? I think compared to uh, yesteryear, twenty years ago and today, I I think it's very different. I think it's um, blues is enveloped in a in a different culture. Uh, I know 20 years ago when I started out in it, it was like the biggest thing happening. Right. You know, people um, love to go hear a blues band or a band that did blues and, mm-hmm. you know, incorporate it. Nowadays, um, you may start, I've, I've noticed that some bands, they may start out as a blues band, but they're finding themselves that they have to kind of convert to what their audience likes. You know, your audience may like rock, country, uh, whatever, alternative, whatever you're doing. So I find that blues, yeah, it's being incorporated, but I don't think it's as, as strong and prevalent as it was 20 years ago. But it's still there. It's still hanging in there. It's still doing uh, what it's doing. And that's where I really, I really have to take a step back and say, if I really believe in this type of music, Mm-hmm. You know, I have to put my best foot forward and do what I have to do and pay homage, you know, to the people, you know, like my grandfather and Duke Joint, you know, mm-hmm. he lived in Alabama, ran Moonshine. <laughs> yeah, um, but, um, you know, yeah, it, it, you know, and that's, I think that's how I got started with my mom, but maybe that's all they had and besides the gospel music. Um, so I think as a blues um, artist, I feel that, you know, yes, blues is strong today, um, but I think it's being enveloped by other cultures of music. Sure. And the the demographics, and I'm going to tell you, I do blues dances, and I am shocked that the 40 and under crowd, they dance to blues and they love it. That's great to hear. When I started doing the blend, yeah, I'm telling you, I was so shocked because it's the stereotype that the older people mm-hmm. you know that's that's their thing that's what they want to do but that's not true blues is love even my nieces and nephews they never heard me they're like blues is boring it's just like no it's how you deliver it and entertain people with it and that's my goal and so when my nieces some of my nieces and nephews heard me they're like wow we didn't know you did that i said i've been trying to tell you yeah <laughs> you know this is what i do so, yeah, there there has been a change, but um, I know people are trying to revive it, you know, um, and they're they're making a great effort, and there is some um, success that I see on my end of that happening. Wonderful. Yeah, I think a lot of people think, you know, you mentioned the word blues or blues dancing, and people think of 80 beats a minute, one, four, five, kind of, you know, plodding along, mm-hmm. or Robert Johnson mm-hmm. or John Lee Hooker, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but I wonder... You know, part of the reason for my question was, you know, 20 years ago, you know, the blues had, you know, I don't want to call him a savior, but you certainly had 
uh, quite a light in Stevie Ray Vaughan, even though his music and, and your music don't necessarily sound the same. They are under the same umbrella. And, and I wonder, right. you know, the effect of of someone like a Gary Clark Jr. who is, you know, garnering, you know, quite a bit of pop music, you know, buzz and press. If that kind of brings that back around, if having kind of a national, you know, figure such as him might, you know, turn somebody on to, you know, an album to then someone goes out and seeks out the blues. Because it seems like blues music fans are great about working their way backward, you know. We love a Steve Ray Vaughan, so we discover Albert King, so we discover, you know, whomever came before him, Son House, etc. And, you know, you hope that, the, you know, in the future, somebody like a Gary Clark Jr., I don't want to put all the pressure in the world on him, but, you know, may mm-hmm. develop that same sort of love, you know, in some people. Um, and, and it is important for people to realize it's not all slow, plodding, along tempo music. You know, a lot of your material's upbeat. Um, you know, I don't want to say it's happy because that flies in the face of the word blues, but it is in mm-hmm. a way. You know, I have to admit, I cracked a smile several times in the lyrics of the songs, and and uh, you know that's great to hear. So um, I want to wish yeah. you all the best with the album. Uh, your website is Miss Freddy. That's F R E D D Y E dot com. You've got gigs lined up for uh, most of 2018 already. So if folks want to check out either the blues band or the trio. Uh, there's plenty of information on your website, and I want to thank you so much for your time today and talking with us. Oh, you're welcome, and you know, thank you for supporting. And I know "local" is a word that um, slowly but surely we're all trying to get out of, but um, it's it's much appreciated. I'm glad to do it. I'm you know I'm glad that you know I could give out who I am and what mm. I want to do um, and also you know my fellow right, musicians out the there so, Ms. Freddie. you know you're uh, very welcome a, a cool thank style you of, so much blues. I think uh, as we talk about in the interview I think a lot of people think of blues music as Robert Johnson sitting on the front porch moaning about problems and, and in a lot of ways blues certainly is like that but it's got an, a, some up-tempo stuff as well uh, some really fun music in the blues genre as well so I invite you to check out her album, Lady of the Blues, which is available now. We're going to turn our attention now to uh, another Pennsylvania native, uh, Shane Spiel, who is considered by many uh, to be kind of the foremost expert and, and master of the cigar box guitar, which uh, at first glance might seem like a relatively primitive instrument. Um, was fortunate enough to receive one as a gift uh, this holiday season and put it together, and immediately upon looking at YouTube on how to play the thing, came across Shane uh, who is uh, a Pennsylvania native, as I mentioned, also is the um, curator of the Cigar Box Museum at Spiel's Tavern in New Alexandria, PA. So I wanted to get him on to talk about that. You know, we, we have this kind of little gem here in western Pennsylvania that many people may not know about. I know I personally drove by it for years and never knew it was there. So I uh, wanted to talk to him about that. So we're going to play a little Shane's music. Uh, Shane it does some great, very... To me, it seems almost like a rock and roll blues player, um, just with a really cool guitar. So let's check out some of Shane's music, and we'll get into that interview.
Starbox master Shane Spiel on the line. How are you doing today, Shane? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing fantastic. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you, you're from Pennsylvania area, correct? You're not in the Pittsburgh area right now, but you live in PA? I grew up in western PA, and I'm now living in the central part of the state in York, Pennsylvania. Okay. And can I ask, I guess the first question I think comes to mind is what got you into the cigar box guitar specifically, as opposed to, you know, playing the Montgomery Ward guitar like everyone else did it, you know, as a young man? <laughs> yeah, uh, you got to understand, I started out like any red blooded Pittsburgh area guy as a heavy metal freak. Excellent. You know, I back in the 80s, I had the mullet, I had, you know, I was listening to thrash metal and all that stuff, but then whenever I went to college, I heard Jimi Hendrix's Red House, mm -hmm. and that changed my life. So everything became blues for me, and for me, it kept, you know, even though I had guitars and, and normal instruments like that around me, um, I kept going back in time searching for music that that deeper blues you know you start mm -hmm. with hendrix's red house then you go to like you know hound dog taylor uh, muddy waters and then you always take that step back into the delta guys well this was for me it was back in 1993 this was before the internet mm -hmm. and so you know it wasn't like i could just punch something up but i found these interviews of these guys that were talking about when they started out, they were so poor, they couldn't even afford a guitar from the Sears catalog. So they'd make one out of a cigar box guitar. And for me, I was looking for that gritty, primal, mm -hmm. one step deeper than the Delta Blues sound. And that's when I said, I've got to make my own. So in 1993, I made my first string cigar box guitar out of a Swisher Sweet box. I actually have it sitting right beside me. <laughs> so... um can you kind of contrast or compare and contrast the cigar box to you know let's say you know a normal like Fender Gibson kind of guitar? What what for those who maybe aren't familiar at all with the instrument? What's kind of the difference? A um, okay, going back into blues history, a cigar box guitar for the most part was nothing but a broomstick jammed through a box uh, with one or two pieces of bailing wire put onto it and played with a broken bottleneck as a slide. Okay. Um, and so these are the most like primitive, primal blues instruments you could find. Um, and what is different between this and a Fender? Uh, phew, light years, you know? If I play a Fender guitar, I sound like everyone else. If mm -hmm. I play a cigar box guitar, I sound like Shane Spiel. You know, these are the one instrument that... It's the one instrument that makes you sound completely unique because, number one, there's no rules to it. It was a peasant instrument. It right. was something made by people just desperate for music. Number two, um, there's no rules for playing it. And so you approach it how you approach it. Um, most of my cigar box guitars that I perform with uh, only have three or four strings and no frets. They're played with a slide, and uh, you know it. In the middle of a song, it could go a little bit out of tune, but that's kind of what I'm looking for: is a blues that's so nasty mm -hmm. and so rugged um, that you can't get it from a strat. I mean, the last thing I would want to do is play a strat in concert anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it does have a, certainly a different sound to it. Um, 
when did you start amplifying it, or is that something that was kind of common for people to amplify these? You know, because I've seen some of your videos, you have kind of a you know bit of overdriven sound to it. Oh, my band is is an absurd uh, is an absurd thing. I, I mean, cigar box guitars by their, their nature were like a front porch instrument back mm-hmm. in the day. Um, and when I first started building them myself, they were all acoustic. The, back in the 1990s, I used to perform at a coffee shop, um, and I would take like a TITAC microphone that you would see interviewers use, mm, right. and I would shove it into the sound hole just so people could hear what I'm doing. Well, as it progressed, um, I put together uh, my band, Shane Spill and the Snakes, and our goal was to sound like a mixture of Jug Band and Black Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I still do acoustic shows as well. I, you know, it's I like to go back and forth, but um, electrifying cigar box guitars—that's all part of the no rules idea. You know, you can use whatever you want as a pickup. I have some cigar box guitars that the pickups were hand wound, others that were taken out of old guitars. Um, there's just this absolute freedom to making and playing your own homemade instrument. Now, and that's actually kind of what we're celebrating with the museum as well. Now, as far as tuning these, um, do you typically play, and is it open G, or what, what tuning are you playing in? Or is it, is, I'm assuming yeah, you're playing uh, in open tunings. Yeah, for the most part, for me, I uh, slide open G. I don't know if you can hear this. This is yeah. my very first cigar box guitar, um, and it's tuned pretty much close to an open G. And uh, it's three strings, so it's G D G, and it's a little out of tune, but it'll work. Yeah. That's as good as I can play right now while trying to keep the phone in my ear. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. But um. So when you're doing those, you're playing. Um, do you do you experiment with other tunings? Like um, absolutely. In in fact, um, I actually started my own guitar slide company. It's stubbyslide.com. Okay. S t u b b y stubbyslide.com. But every slide that I sell out of that site, I include a tuning guide because that's kind of the cool fun of this thing is to try jazz tunings, Hawaiian tunings, mutant weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, in concert, uh, I'm always using my tuner, or I at least have seven guitars beside me in every show because they're all tuned differently. So I can just grab another one, do a different song. Um, yeah, have fun with the tunings. I, I even have a YouTube channel where I teach how to play these things. And tunings are a big part of uh, the lessons. Yeah, I know myself as a, as an owner of a guitar box guitar for a little over a week now. I know I've watched several of your videos, and it's kind of interesting. You know, you've got ACDC, you've got Depeche Mode, you've got you know uh, <laughs> all kind of great you know blues staples, as well as the Idiot's Guide right. for people like me. Um, and I noticed in, in your videos, it doesn't seem like you use the same guitar twice. Uh, how, do you have any idea of how many you have, or does your wife know how many you have? Uh, <laughs> let me, 
you have musicians listening, right? Absolutely. Uh, okay, so here's my tip for you, for musicians. When you buy a guitar, you have it sent to your office. <laughs> and then when you sneak it home, she'll never realize. If you have, if you have more than 40 guitars in your house, she'll never notice another one, a new one. <laughs> a new one. Just... No, uh, you know, just kidding. But I, cigar box guitars, my collection is over 200. Um, and those are ones that I've made, that I've traded with people throughout the world, and that I've bought. Um, in fact, when my father took over Spiel's Tavern in New Alexandria, mm-hmm. and I proposed to him that we would have a cigar box guitar museum inside of it, one of the reasons was I was running out of room in my own house. <laughs> um, and I wanted these guitars to be seen. Um, the nice thing is, anytime I go back to Spiels to perform, I always bring some more with me, and I take a couple off the walls so I can perform with, you know, mm-hmm. in my shows, and I can swap them around. Um, but that, you know, the museum itself, I just brought in 39 more guitars about a month and a half ago. Okay. And uh, it's just, we're running out of space on the walls. It's a beautiful thing. So, for for those not familiar, I know I am guilty of going through New Alexandria almost every day, to and from my <laughs> real job, and not knowing it was there. Um, can you right. talk about you know what what is inside Spiel's Tavern when you walk in? What is what does a, a visitor see? Okay, let me tell you what's outside Spiel's Tavern to start with. Sure. Uh, the bar. Okay, the bar has been in my family since the middle of Prohibition. Okay. My great uncle started it in the middle of Prohibition, when that was repealed, he opened it legally. In fact, Spills Tavern has one of the oldest liquor licenses in Pennsylvania. Um, and so it's been in my family the whole time. Well, my father is a retired special ed school teacher. His brother ran the bar for many, many years and finally said to my dad, I'm too old to take it, uh, you know, to mm-hmm. keep it going. Do you want the bar? I don't want to sell it. Well, my dad was retired from teaching, and so he took it over. He called me up and said, I don't know what to do about this place. There's nobody here. And I said to him, I have an extra PA system, and I have my cigar box guitar collection. Let's bring live blues in there and make the place look like a hard rock cafe of old-time blues. Mm -hmm. Um, So we hung... The walls are just covered in cigar box guitars from people from all over the world. There's live blues music there every Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Now, on the outside, Spiel's Tavern looks like a decrepit old roadhouse, you know, bar. I mean, it's rough looking on the outside. It's from the 1930s. On the inside, it is magnificent, and you just walk in... You know, it's like my whole family runs the bar, so they treat everybody like families are coming in. Uh, and just, it's one of those uh, trail magic places where if you discover it, you're going to be telling your friends about it. Um, you know, what else can I say about it? It's There's incredible music in there, and uh, it's just one of those small-town bars that has just been turned into this magical blues mecca. Yeah, and I think you mentioned you know, the kind of the roadhouse. I think that's what you'd want. I don't think you want a real polished-looking, you know. Uh, sometimes I think... Oh, trust some, me, some, it looks you, rough you on need the character. outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Can, it, you know. <laughs> could you talk a little bit about the 
guitar BQ. Uh, is that an annual event? I saw you had that last yeah. August. Yeah, they have uh, once a year. They have what's called the guitar BQ, and that is a two to three day event of live music. It is not held on site. It is actually held uh, in Salzburg, in nearby Salzburg, okay. at, uh, at the Sportsman's Club there, simply because it's so big and there's so many people. And what happens is the majority of the bands that perform at Spiel's Tab throughout the year all get together. And it's a one big music festival of some of the best blues, roots, and rock music uh, in the area. Well, that sounds just wonderful. Um, do you have plans to do any shows at Spiel's uh, you know, in the in the coming year, or is that still kind of to be determined, or any other area uh, shows? I, I plan on being there three to four times in 2018. Okay. I still have to book things. I've got a big gig coming up in New Orleans, so I'm going to get past that, and then we're going to be booking those for Spiels. I have to be there at least once a quarter. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Now, is is the museum open to, like, if people want to bring kids? Is that something they can do, or is it 21 well, and over still- kind of thing? No, well, Spills is a non-smoking bar. It is a bar. It has food there, mm-hmm. which means uh, if you have a younger kid, and they've brought kids in there, mm-hmm. um, just get them in there before 8 o'clock, and okay. you should be fine. Uh, we've had open mics, and people bring their kids in to play the open mics as well. Um, but, yeah, kids can go check it out. But it's definitely the type of thing you just want to go in and take some time, take a ton of pictures. Yeah. This isn't the type of bar where, you know, you're held back from, no. You get in, take pictures, ask questions, take notes. Excellent. Now, if someone wanted to get into uh, Cigar Box Guitar, I mean, is there kind of a, a recommended path you would suggest? Would you go with a kit? Would you suggest, you know, trying to find your favorite box somewhere and build it from scratch? What, what you know, what would you do to encourage somebody, you know, that maybe had an interest in getting started in this? Um... Oh my God! Just build one. Um, for, we have free plans at a website called CigarBoxNation.com, and that website is basically the hub of all cigar box guitar activity and plans. I started it years ago, and yes, I did name it after Steelers Nation. <laughs> <laughs> Come CigarBoxNation.com There's free plans on there There's lessons There's everything you would need Um, If you want a kit That has all the parts If you're, you know You don't want to collect the parts yourself You go to GiddyKit G-I-T-T-Y K-I-T Dot com GiddyKit.com And that has free plans to download Plus a link to buy all the parts Um, You know, it makes it easy on you. And then, if you don't have a wood shop at all, there's people everywhere selling cigar box guitars now. Well, excellent. Um, You have uh, an album out, Stay Primal. I believe you have a couple albums, actually, prior to that as well. Um, How how old is Stay Primal? Was that put out in 2017? Stay Primal just came out, yeah, 2017. Um, And we were talking earlier about how loud my band can get. Mm -hmm. Stay Primal was a step back. Uh, It was more acoustic um we wanted to basically i forced my band to listen to led zeppelin 3 before going Mm. to the studio and zeppelin 3 is where they went acoustic so it was like this hard rock band playing 
gentle folk music on acoustic. For us, we're a hard rock jug band, and I forced them to go go back to like the Memphis and and St. Louis jug band sounds, while still mixing our rock attitude. Right. Uh, so so that's you know there's some rockers in there, but it's it's more of our step back in time, and I'm very very proud of the album. Right, and all all your stuff is available at shanespiel.com. Shanespiel.com. And we'll encourage folks to check that out. Shane, I want to thank you so much for your time. Uh, I don't want to keep it any longer. It's been a pleasure talking with you, and um, get everybody out to New Alexandria to check out uh, the tavern. Oh, yeah, and it's free to go in. There's no cover at Spiel's. Just go. If you're driving past it, stop. If you're open, you know, if it's in the afternoon or later, stop in and go see. There's no cover. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shane. I appreciate your time and, and all your videos and the work you put into kind of promoting the instrument. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right, a big thank you to Shane Spiel, uh, Miss Freddie, and also to Al Bergman. Uh, again, all of them have uh, relatively new albums to check out, so I invite you to do so. Uh, you can go to ironcityrocks.com. We have the links to all of their websites, uh, as well as the Cigar Box uh, Museum. Cigar box guitar. I keep forgetting to mention the word guitar in there, so you're wondering why you're going to look at cigar boxes. That's the Cigar Box Guitar Museum in New Alexandria, PA. So uh, come on over and check that out while you're there. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter are all forward slash Iron City Rocks, or you can drop us an email at ironcityrocks at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Also, uh, keep an eye if you're from Western Pennsylvania or into musicians from Western Pennsylvania. The finalist for the 2017 PMAs, that's the Pittsburgh Music Awards, uh, we'll have voting up on our website uh, very, very soon. We're still tallying the uh, nominations, uh, which were all done by fans before anybody screams at me or, or the staff, that we handpick uh, who you vote for. We have no say whatsoever in who you vote for or who is nominated. So these were all uh, done by our listeners and people on our website and social media. So check out those finalists. And uh, please vote. And uh, until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening. 